Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most probably listening through a pair of headphones, which means I have the perfect sponsor with the perfect product for you. It's Studio, and they want to revolutionize the way people see headphones. Generally, fashionable headphones tend to lack the proper sound quality and the high-tech ones are bulky and not design-orientated. Studio bridge that gap while emphasizing sleek, modern Scandinavian design. To get a 15% discount on any of their wares, go to studiosweden.com, which is spelled S-U-D-I-O Sweden.com, and simply put in the code DTD when purchasing a pair of headphones. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. In an uncertain world, there is always music which can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people to the backdrop of great tunes. Today we speak to Archer's actor Becky Wright about her love of horror movies and how they've portrayed women through the ages. Becky, yes. why are we fascinated by the macabre and the ghoulish? I know that uh, the horror genre is much maligned in many ways. Mm. The way that some people find comfort in beautiful and um, idealistic films, I find a great comfort in the truly macabre and vile and disgusting because it is, and not almost the disgusting, but, but always the, um, the things that are beyond what we know and the things that frighten us and scare us. And even when I was really tiny, this is something Uh that has really got me going. And I like being scared and I like being challenged. And I remember when I was really small asking my dad to go to the the video shop, as in VHS and Betamax, because I'm that old, Mm -hmm. um, to get me a scary film. And he was always, you know, very, very sort of... uh, protective of me and I, I would watch things like gremlins and you know all of the kids films of the time and think it was they, they were great but I wanted to be scared and I always wanted that one video that you couldn't watch so I was desperate to see alien and I was desperate to see the exorcist and I was desperate to see stuff that I wasn't allowed to see so there was a certain there was a certain um 
allure to things that I wasn't allowed, I think. Do you think that maybe it's because as our lives have become safer and safer, you know, we, we live longer, we're healthier than we ever have been in human history. Um, we don't send men off to war to die pointless deaths at once a generation. That horror movies provide a very understandable psychological escape because of that. Completely. I completely agree with you on that one. I think it is escape, but it's a different kind of escape. And there's a there's a little bit of schadenfreude in it in that um, I can seek solace in where I am because I'm not there. And it brings up lots of lots of questions about religion and things we don't know and about death and about, and especially children in horror. And as we kind of move on, you asked me to, to talk about some films that, that I, I particularly appreciate in the genre. And I've picked them because they, they bring up certain tropes within the genre. Some of them are groundbreaking. Some of them are precursors that are ignored and are very relevant to some of the stuff that we sometimes write off today. But also they represent what we are scared of. Childbirth is very common from a male and female perspective. Children who don't conform to what society uh, expects them to be, the, the mystery of children not having that filter and, and a certain honesty. The idea that if you believe in something beyond what you are in a religious or spiritual sense, that there must be an alternative to that in this sort of cyclical nature. And also the things that you are scared of as a child being revisited in adult life. So I can bang on about this for years because I love it. And it has given me such pleasure over the years and has opened my perspective on acting and also characters and feminism and all the things that you think the genre wouldn't really touch upon but it in retrospect it really does i think you mentioning uh, feminism is um for me extremely interesting because watching the films that you that i've chosen to, yeah. yeah so eyes without a face the innocence the exorcist yeah. poltergeist and martyrs it's all about innocence being corrupted or being yeah. lost isn't it well you see i find and vulnerability and generally female vulnerability yes exactly and that's why i picked them and that's why i picked them in the in the order that i picked them as well i think there is a has both been a fetishization of of, of girls and of mm -hmm. female sexuality and a fear of it and the films that I have picked have portrayed those things in different ways and using different stereotypes and different ways of storytelling, but also have re represented from a female performance point of view, really progressive, beautiful performances. And almost accidentally some of them, because some of them were, were made at a time when we weren't focusing on women as being um, strong and respected figures. They were often byproducts of the story. And it was about their their sexuality. And often these films, especially things like Alien, which is uh, an argument whether it's horror or sci-fi, is something that talk, I, I think very much represents um, a fear of a man having a child, the famous chestburster scene. So mm. all of the films I've talked about, and especially Martyrs at the End, which is about a fear of uh, a woman's power. It also covers... Um, the idea of uh, what is uh, spoken of, I think, in quite derivative terms as torture porn, um, spirituality, and um, 
the abuse of, of, of a woman on film and censorship, um, which again is touched on in different ways in The Exorcist as well. I mean, I think all of the films, as you say, quite specifically talk about a woman's role and female sexuality in cinema and how that has evolved. Now, you've stolen my line about saying that The Martyrs was, was torture porn. I did enjoy it, but but it, but, but it was a bit grim. But let's, let's go back okay. to one thing which I thought was missing. Go on. There wasn't any sex. I know nothing about horror. I, I know very little. Can't say I know nothing. And for me, horror is gothic and it is Dracula. It's Frankenstein and it's Hammer House of Horror, which I know is schlocky. Um, it's not though it's not these yeah i argue that i have a love of that and i did in you asking me to to pick the five films i wanted to include the one the other one that was on the list would have been fall of the house of usher um with vincent price and that lovely mm-hmm. melodramatic the, the, the wink the little nod and the wink and those beautiful performances that were so knowing and that were so um so complicit with the audience and i think there's there's lots of horror that merges into other things, and we could we could go on and talk about sort of Friday the Thirteenth and um, Nightmare on Elm Street, which become funny and inclusive kind of, and Evil Dead as well, which was a great a great genre um, piece as well. But um, uh, the Hammer canon, I think, is really interesting because the end of the ha- the Hammer canon was stuff like the Anniversary, which was one of Betty Davis's final films which wasn't a horror piece. It kind of was at the end of the exploitation stuff. So, you know, whatever happened to Baby Jane, if you watch Feud by Ryan Murphy, who's done the whole American Horror Story series, there's this, um, there's this nod to the exploitation era where Joan Crawford did Trog right at the end of her career. And it was seen as something that women did to be laughed at and to be to be sort of um, seen as monsters and and, an older woman as a monster who's lost her beauty and her validity only being that. And I find it interesting that that's why I spoke, I spoke about, um, well, we're going to speak about um, Eyes Without a Face or Les Yossons en Visage, or Les Yossons en Visage, um, that that speaks about that too at a different era and how even though there were very strong female representations and very very um, explicit stories about women not being treated the way they should and being valued for their looks. And that was such an early film. That was a 60s film, um, which which brings in, I think, some of the gothic horror that you're talking about. And I think gothic melodrama is very different to, goth- to horror as we know it today. I think it's a different genre. But what- well, well, that's the thing about this genre isn't it it spins off and there's so many kind yeah. of sub-genres like I could you know, bang on you could have three hours of me just banging on you know, comedy <laughs> horror yeah you know no. disaster horror there's there's, know, a, it, there's a whole film I found a film about possessed donuts the other day and I'm quite excited <laughs> <laughs> so before we before go we go on to uh, possessed donuts yeah let's let's go through the the five films um which are your favorite so eyes without a face is first which is a french film from 1960 we've got the innocence from 61 which is a british film then we have the classic film the exorcist then you jump to the 80s yeah with poltergeist and then you end up with the martyrs in 2008 so first off um 
I found Eyes Without a Face to be a very still and I'm going to say haunting, but that's such a a, 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 re, a, a lazy word to use. I think it's beautiful. Horror. I think it's beautiful. The actor that plays the woman without a face. Yeah. Though she wears a mask, she moves like a mannequin, doesn't yeah, she? Yes, she, she has does. This airy way of moving. And she. Um, and it's, I think it's very evident of the idea that a woman's beauty at that particular point in time was her only value. And I think intentionally or unintentionally, the, 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 the father-daughter relationship, that his, his main intention is to restore her beauty and that is her value. And the lengths that he will go to and the responsibility he feels for that. And also his ultimate fate of his face being disfigured in, in the end is really is really significant and I think it is one of the films that not only fuses some of the shadow play and the artistic sort of art direction of something of the very early horror films of like Nosferatu with the shadow play there's a lot of work with light and I had got very drunk one night and had a fantastic chat with an art director who um, works on commercial shoots and works with artists and we were talking about shadow in early film and this was one of the films that I brought up we were talking about exactly what you've brought up it's about movement and shadows and especially when she visits the dogs downstairs and how and how the her face both in its disfigured state and its um perfect state as it deteriorates um is shot in such a beautiful way and there's a there's a melancholy aspect it's it's a language film i feel it's something that that doesn't that doesn't rush itself and also for the time the it's one of the first, what you could say, um, graphic horrors that is unexpected if you associate that piece with other films at the time. And that's why I picked with The Innocence, I uh, paired it with The Innocence, which is a very different telling and a very gentle ghost story, which is no less haunting, but in a very different way. It is not graphic. It's completely psychological. Um, that's why I paired the two together. What I really found was very clever was that the hounds aren't introduced at the start are they but you always hear them barking yeah they're always they're always barking in the background that's a reference to dracula an early dracula i i've always thought because um... no 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 it's not it's not it's a reference to uh to kate bush actually yeah it is and it's (laughs) actually the Hounds of Love, which is your piece of music, and which hands, you've chosen for And The us. Hounds of Love, and I have to explain this, um, because I have a poster on the wall of my flat, and it is from Night mm-hmm. of the Demon, um, which is a, I think it's a, I think it's 57, um, I might have to correct myself. The Night of the Demon, it's a 57 horror, and uh, Reginald Beckworth, who plays the medium, uh, who's a uh, channeling somebody else provides the voice and is another favorite of mine i have the poster on my wall and i love a bit of kate bush so what could be more fitting i think becky we, we kind of realized when we spoke the other day didn't we that basically music isn't your strong suit but i'm gonna allow you to play this, oh oh no this oh no i'm gonna, I'm gonna, st- I'm gonna because... stop you there i'm gonna stop you there i might click off music no just because we don't agree doesn't mean we can't appreciate your film. <laughs> in the trees. It's coming. When I was a child, running in the night, afraid of what I might be, hiding in the dark. 
about power cultural trees, it's coming <laughs> sorry go on <laughs> you're out of control you i know it's been, long, um, it's been a long day <laughs> go on if we if we look back at the genre of horror movies yeah it, it appears to me that in this kind of netflix download age that the cultural impact mm-hmm. of horror films has been lost and and for me, it was significant what you said about uh, when you were when you were small, when you were a young girl, um, going to the VHS shop. They did Betamax and... too, because it was that kind of time. Mm-hmm. There was a Betamax room where we felt sad for them. Philips V two thousand, couple of those in the corner as well. Oh, I know, but there was but... a laser, there was a laser disc on the wall. Ah, ah. but <laughs> go on. The Exorcist was such a moment wasn't it when it came out in 1973 and then the exorcist slasher movies poltergeist uh, seemed to have been obviously the poltergeist was a was a major kind of box office smash but then there were those derivatives weren't there afterwards which seemed to have been the mainstay of the video rental market yeah totally now um the reasons the reason that I put The Exorcist in is that um, I think if I had to list my all my top five films of all time, The Exorcist is always going to be there. For Ellen Burstyn's performance alone, I think it stands out. And also as as a piece that challenged people. And really, I think there's so much focus on that film being about a child that's possessed and it's seen as a horror film. Whereas I think the story isn't about that. I think the story is about a priest and his crisis of faith and a mother and her obsession with herself and her guilt 
over her child and also about mental illness and the things that you begin to to look at if you if you start to look at it's really interesting how some of the modern films like insidious and the conjuring which are specifically the conjuring which um talks about the the warrens that investigated the the real life people who investigated the amateur horror this idea of the the occult and the supernatural as things that are perceived as mental illness and things that are perceived to be within the realms of religion and it, it brings up questions of spirituality and belief and faith and it's where it all gets mixed up and i think the exorcist really represents the first time that that was brought into the into the general public and the reaction that that film received both in the cinema and beyond and i wasn't even born when the exorcist was released um but it's had a profound effect on me and i've i've read the book it, I've read the book that it was based on and I've read around the subject and the original case that inspired the book and this fusion of um the corruption of innocence that we're talking about which also again relates to all of the films that we're talking about now the um spirituality aspect religion control um the um dichotomy of having uh if you have this one thing you must have its polar opposite the fantasy of childhood and its unknown uh, of mental illness and what we don't understand because we i think as we we grow up into adults we abide by rules and we assume that the other people that we meet every day are also within that ballpark kids don't do that and that's what makes them scary and so brilliantly used in in, in Kubrick's uh, the shining and um in many many other films that I could probably go on about but I find it particularly interesting that that was the first real film that struck a chord for so many reasons and offended and delighted in equal measure in the poltergeist yeah it definitely is um not only an idealized little girl little blonde-haired girl who looks like a total cherub but they have an ideal life don't they they're in suburbia which was the ideal at the time it's his perfect family in suburbia and and that it, ma- it made it normal I, and i think the the films that i mean that was poltergeist was the first film that i saw mm-hmm. that really scared the crap out of me and i saw it when i was i was at primary school when i saw that film accidentally because i think i can't remember whether we were given the wrong film in the video case or somebody says oh it's fine <laughs> you know it's fine so i watched that and i and my bedroom if you've watched the film my bedroom at that time looked out mm-hmm. upon a big oak tree and if you've watched the film mm-hmm. you know what happens with the tree mm-hmm. and i used to sleep in a bunk bed looking over an oak tree and that but and also the doors in our house because i was living i was living uh if you've listened to previous interview that i've done on another podcast i lived outside rugby for a little while and our house at that time uh had a garden and a an oak tree and also that the, the doors of the house are exactly the same as the doors in the house in the exorcist uh, oh, in, in poltergeist stop. yeah the white doors of the panels i'm not joking soon soon you're going to tell me that the tree uh wound its way in through the window and grabbed you. if only but it didn't no <laughs> but as a kid it was and i remember reading a an interview i think with 
I can't remember Toby Hooper or, or Steven Spielberg who said that the script was developed specifically with childhood fears in mind. And, you know, the clowns, the tree, the being, you know, sucked into nowhere, the ghosts, the, the idea of the adults not believing you. And it's that, I think, uh, especially with The Exorcist and, and Poltergeist, to a certain extent, Martyrs, it's about people saying that they've had something happen and it not being believed. And also, the, actually, all of them. And, and the innocence, because Deborah Kerr is not believed. It, her sanity is questioned, and um, that being based on the turn of the screw, the, the original story, which also, I think, lends itself a lot to the others and many stories beyond. But there's the, qu- the, the question of, did I see it or did I not? And is it me? And one of the, the great fears that a lot of people have is about being insane and saying, no, I'm not insane, but being treated as though you are. So we have this great sort of castles that have been built around us in our minds and in society that represent all of these things and um, that we fear as adults, but not as children. And a lot of those echoes are in the last one, yeah. the martyrs, because at the heart of that story is this um, girl who's been tortured by this seemingly perfect family and she comes back to wreak revenge, doesn't she? So again, it's childhood innocence, though it plays forward in t- time-wise. So it doesn't, you don't see what happened to her as, as a child. You get this one glimpse of her running down, running down a road, yeah. running down the street. That was interesting because you didn't quite know where you were. Did, w- was she seeing or was the other character who then kind of goes to rescue her type of thing, was she seeing things that were really yeah. there or was it in her mind? Yeah. But also what I thought was um, fascinating about that as a study was because um, if you go from your first film, uh-huh. um, Eyes, Eyes Without a Face in uh, 1960, very obviously, this is incredibly explicit. Yeah, and I did warn you, and I, and you know, no, no you, you did, but it was it's really good to just do a historical study yeah. of what is being permissible, uh, what we can tolerate as, as an audience, what will get through, get past the censor. Yeah. Um, so back in 1960, with eyes without a face. It was quite shocking yeah, it was truly that shocking. he used a scalpel around the edge of her face. And that's all you saw. Yeah. That's all you actually saw. A little bit of blood that comes from that scalpel. And they thought, we'll yeah. never get this past the centre. People passed out in cinemas. Yeah. 2008. We're there. It was torture porn. Yes, it was torture cause, porn. Because when you said it was torture porn, I do think there is the genre of torture porn. Um, uh, and I think that, and I specifically hit martyrs because I think it is the film that transcends that. I think it is the film that that actually is rather um, strong in its representation of, of women and um, a very contentious view and I'm happy to defend myself but I saw and I've only ever watched Martyrs once so don't think I could watch it again all the way through and I'm somebody who has watched Hostel and Saw and the ones that are in the torture porn and even a Serbian film which was one of the most uh, vile things ever seen and I actually found uh, caused massive problems with the senses that was trying to be very philosophical and was groundbreaking in its um, breaking barriers in a censorship uh, terms but I don't think really delivered in a 
in a satisfying film, um, it was all about the hype. And once you've seen the the thing that everybody's talking about, you become numb to it. And I don't think that that's that's not good storytelling. And I think that that martyrs because of the things it tackles and it goes and it links up with all the films I've spoken about. It transcends that, and it's been it's been put in a in a box that I. Well, I think it's a very, it divides people, very marmite film. People either love it and see it as a, a great piece of filmmaking or they see it in the torture porn box. And I'm not being disparaging by saying that because there are aspects of it that very, very much do suit that genre. I think that the fact that it combines spirituality and the and addresses some of the, the brutal um treatment of women in other horror film tropes as uh, sexual beings and things to be used and abused and tortured. I think Martyrs is the one film that transcends that and actually gives it a narrative that it hasn't had before. And it is a brutal watch and it's one of the few films that I've, I've said I, I, I was quite moved by it and I found it a very difficult watch. And I'm somebody who watched, you know, A Chainsaw to the Head for fun. <laughs> for the reasons we spoke, <laughs> no, for the silly reasons we've spoken about before, but I think Martyrs has a a message and a a social commentary that is relevant now, that is relevant about how we portray women and how women are um, portrayed in society, and it's a very open question. I think it I think it opens up discussions about things, and I don't think to to say that, that a film is torture porn does a great disservice. I think it's much, much more than that. Becky Wright, known to your best friends as uh, Betty. Betty. All right, Al. Right. Ready when you call me, you can call me Al. There we go. <laughs> Thank you for coming on to Friday and um, explaining to us uh, the beauty, the hidden depths, the, the jump scares. Oh, I, but, love it. Um, I love it. I love it. I love it. And if anybody wants to call me and bang on about it for hours, I can. <laughs> that is the world of horror movies. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, lovely. Bye. <laughs>
Give me feedback. If you want to email me, 
and possibly even get on the show, you can do that by emailing me at royfield at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm not great on the platform, but I am at Royfield on Twitter. And of course, you can go all the way over to Facebook and you can find Friday 15 there. Oh, one last thing. Be awesome if you could write us a little bit of a review on iTunes or on a podcatcher of your choice. See you all again in seven days time on another Friday. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.